everyone, this is Caleb, and I am so honored that you have decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. Today, I am joined by returning guest to the podcast, Jeff Henderson, to talk with him about his recent brand new book, which is out now, called What to Do Next, Taking Your Best Step When Life is Uncertain. And Jeff has been on the podcast several times before, and so if you enjoyed this conversation, we'll link to several of the other episodes that he has been on over the past, you know, several years since the podcast has started. Now, if this happens to be your first time listening to The Learner's Corner, I do want to let you know about a couple of things that inform pretty much all of what we do here on the podcast. The first thing is this, is that we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations because there are just some, there are some things to where maybe you're, you're curious about it, that you want to learn more about it. And you just maybe don't feel like you have anybody in your life to talk to, or you wish that you had more to talk with them about, or maybe you're just, uh, you know, looking, looking for a place to where you can listen and engage to, uh, different, different viewpoints that you might have that are different than maybe what you believe or or some of the ideas that you hold. And we want to create the place to where we can have that constructive dialogue to where we don't necessarily have to agree with one another, but we can have respectful dialogue. And the second one is this, is that we truly believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone, regardless of whether or not we agree with them completely. And sometimes we learn from their example of what to to do, And other times we learn from their failure and how they got it wrong and maybe some of the steps that we can take to avoid some of their um, pitfalls that they ended up falling into or or walking into and how to avoid those. And the last one is this, is that we truly believe that we can learn from everything, from anything and from everything, regardless of whether that's something serious or something trivial, because everything has something to teach us. Now, today, as I mentioned, I'm talking with Jeff Henderson. And Jeff is somebody that has been, um, he's been somebody that I've been learning from for, I mean, over 10 years in one form or another, whether that be from books or from conversations or from just hearing speeches and messages that he's given over the years. And I'm really looking forward to just, uh, you enjoying this conversation because it's a, it's a really fun conversation. Now, if you have someone that you would love to talk with on the podcast or an idea or subject that you would love to cover, please reach out to me at learners corner podcast at gmail.com. And I would love to hear from you. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Jeff and then we'll, we'll jump into the conversation. Jeff Henderson is an entrepreneur, speaker, pastor, and business leader for 17 years. He has led three of North points, or North Point Ministries multi-site locations in Atlanta, Georgia, which are Buckhead Church and two Gwinnett Church locations. He has helped launch North Point Online, which reaches over 200,000 people. He is also the author of the best-selling book, Know What You're For, which launched a movement in nonprofits around the world and has become a focal point for many businesses. As the founder of the four company, Jeff's aim is to help organizations build a good name where purpose and profit grow together and recently he was named by Forbes magazine as one of the 20 speakers you shouldn't miss prior to working as a pastor he started his career in marketing with the Atlanta Braves Callaway Gardens Lake Lanier Islands and Chick-fil-a where he led the company's regional and beverage marketing strategies 
And today we're going to talk about his brand new book called What to Do Next, Taking Your Best Step When Life is Uncertain. And we're going to talk a lot about transitions. You know, a lot of people are looking for either a different type of work or leaving their current job. And so how do you navigate that situation? How do you know how to leave well and what you could do? And that's what we're going to talk about here on the podcast with Jeff today. So without any further wait, here is our conversation. Well, Jeff, it's so good to have you back on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Oh, honored to be back, Caleb. Thanks for asking me. Great to see you. Yeah. And just as we're getting started, you know, uh, a lot of what I want to talk with you about is your brand new book, uh, What to Do Next. Uh, but before that, I would just love to ask you, because I know that you're constantly, you know, thinking and, and learning everything. What are some of the the things or the ideas or the learnings that are just capturing your imagination or attention right now? One of the lessons I've learned, and this is true with any, I think for all of us, but especially when you're pursuing kind of the next season is discomfort is the price for growth. So I think in the last year and a half, I've grown more as a leader and I've had to, you know, tackle issues. And this is the first time I've really been on my own. This is the first time I haven't gotten paid every two weeks in my career. Right. So it's like, oh, wow, this is, this is how this feels. And so it's there's there's a little discomfort, but I'm telling you, in the last year and a half, I've grown more as a leader, grown more as a person, and uh, I figured out, you know what, running your own business is hard, but it wasn't as hard as I thought, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's those little pesky things like you know health insurance and things like that. That that's not why you get into this. I want to launch a business so that I can have my own health insurance, you know. But those are like the reality of it, right? That's the non-romantic part of dreamy part of running unit. Nobody wants to, you know, watch something on their own because of health insurance, but it's those things that can kind of, kind of nip at your heels, but you can figure that out. Right. And uh, so this has been a very uncomfortable season, but it's been a season uh, of growth. And um, the principle here is opportunities flow to those who grow. Uh, I have a friend who says, if you're the same person six months from now, uh, you're falling behind. And so how can we keep going? That doesn't mean you need to quit your job and start something else, but it does mean what's the, what's the growing version of you. So this whole idea of discomfort, it's not easy, but we didn't sign up for easy. Yeah. Uh, I'd be curious to hear what's been more difficult than you anticipated being and what has maybe been easier than you thought it might be. What surprised me, Caleb, and this is coming from an introvert is how lonely it's been. Because I, I went from serving 60 people, you know, 60 friends that I hired and in a large church to going to a coffee shop and writing this book all by myself or being at my in-laws lake house. I wrote this book primarily at my, my in-laws lake house. But so a lot of the things I do are by myself. Now, that's true for a lot of us with virtual world now. But um, fortunately, I get to see you and be with you today. <laughs> but but yeah, but most of most of the work I do is is on my own. So the loneliness is was something that kind of took me by surprise because as an introvert, I'm like, I love going to a coffee shop by, my, by myself. But when you string like five to seven days of that in a row, you're like, wait, I, I miss people. So uh, we've tried to, you know, when we left our, we didn't just leave our job. We left our church, our, left our community, yeah. you know, to go do this. And so 
So we had to kind of start all over. So I think that the, the hardest thing has been rebuilding that uh, that community. I think the surprising or the good thing, surprising thing, is how quickly things kind of took off. Um, you know, part of what I do now is I'm, I'm a you know I'm a professional speaker, if you will, right? So and early on, when people call me and they said, "Hey Jeff, can you come speak?" Yes. Like, all right, we haven't even told you the date yet. I'm like, I don't care. I'm, I'm available. Um, I will be there. Now it's, it got quickly got to the point where there's so many opportunities coming in. Now I've got to, to go, okay, what I got to say yes. And I hate saying no, but I got to say yes to the, the, the thing that's going to be best for, for the business, but best for my family. And so, so I think that's been the, the good thing is that, and my wife, Wendy said, I'm not worried at all about how this is going to work. And I'm like early on. But I was like, I am definitely worried. So, so that's been, that was been quick to, you know, that's, Lord's been faithful and that's been fun to see. Great for the blessings. Yeah. I want to go back to what you mentioned about loneliness as well. What's helping you like deal with that right now? Because like you said, you don't have a team right now. And, and just like the everyday flow, you know, you would just, you would just see people. Um, and so what's helping you uh, just, just deal with that in your life right now? I hired a transition consultant and I told him about this and, and he said, okay, we don't hire people to be our friends. Okay. And, and it was a great, great insight because you know, he let me know, all right, we, you're running a business and it needs, it needs to be a profitable business. And I read a book, Wendy and I read a book called Profit First by Mike McCallowitz. And it, it, it just talked about how to run a profitable business. And so we've been quick not to just hire friends because we, you know, we're lonely and we left our community. So that's helped us from a financial standpoint. But one of the things I'm doing actually after this call, we've, cre- we've created something called Community Plus. And you, mm-hmm. you're like, what is Community Plus? Like, well, it's not a church, but it's more a little bit more intense than a community or small group. And we want to do life with folks. We have folks from different ages. So it's very diverse. From We have empty nesters like Wendy and I are to people that are pregnant. And so when we're done with this podcast interview, Wendy and I are packing up and going to the lake and we're going to spend the weekend with uh, some of the folks uh, in our community plus group. Well, that's been very, very helpful, but we had to be intentional about that. And trying to get all these people together is really difficult. In fact, it's probably the most difficult thing I've had to do in the last year and a half. I'm like, this is really hard. So you just try to get as many people as you can, but I think trying to do life with as, as many people and uh, not only hiring a transition consultant, but really staying close, closely con- connected to my counselor. Now, I think with counseling, we think, oh, if you're in a, if you're in counseling, that means you're you've got a problem. Well, we all have problems, right? And I I really believe in consistent, proactive counseling. And I think processing a move like this takes time. Anytime someone has given their heart and soul, uh, like Wendy and I did, to launching you know, in essence, three churches over the last 17 yeah. years. And that's great, but it's going to take a price. It's going to take a toll when you leave and there's a grieving process. And if you don't grieve well, your body will eventually make sure that you do. And so we've, we've tried to grieve well, we've tried to leave well and pursue this, but it's, it's probably the emotional part of this. Um, so surrounding ourselves with good new friends, um, making sure that we're consistent with counselors and just kind of working through this because um, it's the really the emotional part of leaving that's you know sometimes can be the hardest part mm-hmm. 
take me back to like whenever you're you're feeling this loneliness and you're you're going okay I, I do need some type of community which which is where a lot of people find themselves you know right now especially after the pandemic and and everything what what did it look like to go about like starting that community was it people that you already knew was it new people talk to me about that mm-hmm. so we we kind of made a list of folks that we would like to invite and and we we tried to make it close to where we live we actually moved. Um, we didn't move too far away, probably 20 minutes away, but with Atlanta traffic, that makes a significant difference if you're getting to the airport, like I need to get to. And so, so we just kind of did, all right, who do we know within a, you know, good 10, 15 drive time. And can we get some diversity in this group so that empty nesters are speaking into the lives of young parents, but young parents are making sure that we don't get too old as empty nesters. And so, um, and so we just started asking people, and it was so, so we, we gathered everybody together and they didn't really know what we were doing. And I explained, you know, loneliness is a really big deal for a lot of people. And um, one of the wives raised their hands and said, well, if you and Wendy are asking us to date you, we're all in because right? <laughs> we experienced this. In fact, there was a guy in this group that, that took me to breakfast, a young guy, he's got a, you know, a five-year-old son. He said, Hey, I just want to let you know, I, I know a lot of people, but I just don't have any friends. Mm-hmm. You know, would you, would you and Wendy be our, you know, our friends? And I thought, well, interestingly enough, we're launching something called community plus, and it's really designed so that we can have friends and do life together. Um, so yeah, we were very, very intentional, but you got to plan out the calendar. You got to, you know, and we, one of the things that we, you know, on the, te- the text thread that we have with Community Plus is the, the folks have said, hey, even if we're not able to meet, please keep this text thread coming and please ask us because it just creates a sense of connection. And we've had things, hospital visits, you know, sick parents that we've all really leaned into and, and tried to help and support. So, so it's, but I do think the lonely leader is a, is a real thing. And I think loneliness is a real thing. And we all know a lot of people, but who are really doing, who are we really doing life with? Mm. Yeah. And that's something that like, I've been thinking about a lot recently is that like our, um, I don't know, you could call it like larger society does not help in, in, in that effort because it's constantly, you know, be involved with everything, get as much done as, as you can. Um, and so, yeah, it does, it, it can unintentionally lead us to loneliness in that absolutely and we can get so busy that we you know do a lot of things with our hands and our minds but not so much our hearts and souls Mm -hmm. and so we've had to slow down in fact last fall i was um, you know speaking so much because again i'm like building this business we got to go and i told wendy i said i called her somewhere really cold it was actually snowing in november and i don't do snow because i'm from atlanta and I think I just don't know if I want to do this next year. I don't know if I want to be gone every weekend. And because people are asking me, where do y'all go to church now? I'm like, well, uh, so I go to Cross Point Church in Nashville, Athens Church in Athens, Georgia, you know. Um, and so it's because I'm speaking quite a bit yeah. at different oh, yeah. churches. So you got to be careful as you're out speaking on Sundays at churches that you still have a, a group that you're doing life with. And so that's been a, that's been an important part of this new next season for me. Yeah. Can you talk to me just kind of about that dynamic that you were talking about of like, you're, you're speaking at, at all of these churches and yet you do have your community in community plus, and then, um, 
And then also, like, you still have, I'm sure, a lot of people that you love and care for at Gwinnett Church as well, too. And so can you just talk to me kind of kind of about that dynamic and, like, what is helping you um, just grow, sp- like, spiritually and in, in, in following Jesus as well? So one of the things we'll, we'll shift more into in the new year is probably not going to speak at just um, a broad collection of churches, but going to speak more frequently at a few churches. Mm-hmm. And what that does is, is that creates a sense of community, even if you're in Nashville, for example, Crosspoint Church, I will pre- preach there six times. I've been a part of that church from a distance for a number of years now. And so, but when we go up, we got up there early, the last time I was there three weeks ago to go have dinner with uh, Jen Brummett and her husband, Bobby, who's the assistant to Kevin Queen. Kevin was out of town. So we've mm-hmm. got a community. We want to do, you know, life from a distance with these folks. And, uh, but that will be hard because when a church calls me and says, can you come do you know, one Sunday? I will want to, to do that. And there are churches that I will do once a Sunday, but I've been there for so long that it's like, it's going back to, to community. So. Um, you you, you got to have that. But I think, you know, people really understanding what's happening in your life and mm-hmm. and being able to, you know, you don't want to tell everybody everything, but you need to tell somebody. And so that's what, you know, and I'm not talking a game like, you know, you need to go to counseling. And I'm not. I mean, I was with my counselor yesterday and was saying, hey, here's what's happening um, in my heart. And one of my mentors says, you know, when you say something out loud, it kind of, you know, loses a lot of its power over you. So. Mm-hmm. So having that trusted group, you know, it's it's tricky at, uh, especially in a church that you help start. Uh, one, of, one, of, one of the pieces I, of advice I got, which was so helpful, and I believe in this, at least for me, and that was uh, a friend of mine said, hey, Jeff, when you leave, leave, don't linger. And so we, we, we didn't, you know, go back to Gwinnett Church. We yeah. didn't. And in fact, when I left Buckhead Church, we didn't go to church there because I didn't want the leaders, whether they would or not, I didn't even want them to put in a position to be, for them to think I'm looking over their shoulder. Or I didn't want to be walking the halls and somebody come up and go, hey, um, let me tell you what's, you know, whatever. Or, gosh, Jeff, we're so glad you're gone because now it's so much better. You know, there's just all those emotional oh, yeah. dynamics and stuff. Yeah. And so I just thought, you know what, as hard as that is, I think that's great for everybody. And that doesn't mean you don't ever come back, yep. but when you leave, leave, don't linger, um, is, was some of the best advice that I got. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I completely agree with that. That's I've, I've had to face that dynamic a couple of times in, uh, you know, in the multi-site church that I work at, of working at different campuses and, uh, removing yourself for, for a time, because you know that they will. They will look to you whether or not you want them to or not at times. And, you know, the different leaders and different organizations do it differently. I, I just, mm-hmm. um, when I, whenever I see a leader, especially a founder, you know, transition the new leader, but they stick around in a, in a role, that may work. I think mm-hmm. it's tricky. And it takes yeah. emotionally healthy leaders to make that work. And uh, a mentor of mine said, transitions are the devil's playground. Because everybody's emotions are are very high and sensitive, and oh, why didn't I get invited to that meeting? And oh, you like that person better than you like me, and you know, and, and there's something in all of us, at least it is in me. Maybe everybody's better than me listening to this. That you don't want to be forgotten, you know. Yeah. And uh, but our mutual friend Carrie Newhoff told me, he goes, Jeff, you'll be amazed how quickly you're forgotten, and and that's true. 
And actually part of that is healthy. Well, not part of that. Maybe all of that is healthy, right? Yeah. Uh, as Ryan Holiday wrote in his book, Ego is the Enemy. Ego is the enemy. So, yeah. and it's it's so helpful to remember. And this is helpful for leaders to remember. If you're if you're sacrificing your family and your health for an organization, especially if you're in a church and you can talk yourself into it that, you know, I can rest in eternity, but I'm going to burn out yeah. here. That's, first of all, that's not good theology. Yeah. That's not what God's calling you to do. Because in somewhere in that mix, it's like, oh, God needs me to do this. And that's that's where the warning signs on your, you know, your, your soul should be blinking because God doesn't need you to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, God wants you to follow him. But so I think having, you know, it's, it's, it's all about your emotional health and nothing quite challenges your emotional health when you leave and people forget you. You know, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is this idea of how to grieve well, because it's an idea that really isn't talked about a whole lot and we don't really know how to do it. And so I would just love for you to just talk about what's helped you learn how to grieve well. One of the best things I did was to hire a transition consultant, which is a a fancy title for therapist or counselor. But um, Bob Lewis really helps leaders transition because he understands it's really the emotional part of this more than the, the technical aspect of, you know, finding out, finding more clients and all that. And so, for example, our first meeting, I said, hey, I have four issues, three business, three business questions that I'd love to run by you. And uh, one about the emotions of leaving. He goes, well, let's just start with the emotions. Well, we spent the whole entire time on the emotional part, didn't even get to the business questions. And and I think part of that is if it's, it's equal to the number of years you've been there and how much you invested. Like if you if you if you work somewhere for like six months and really didn't like it, it's probably not going to be that hard, right? Because mm-hmm. you didn't work out. If you worked ten years and launched two churches at Gwinnett Church, and then obviously uh, eight years before that at, at Buckhead Church, you know, so much of your life has been invested in this, and so ten years at Gwinnett, you know, eighteen years overall. Um, there, there's going to be a toll to lead to that because there's so much of your family memories, so much of, especially in church world, t-shirts that you wear. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. So much of going out to eating people who don't know that you've left, come up and said, Hey, I have a question about the church. And you're like, well, okay, I've, I've been gone for six months. I don't work there anymore. What? You know? And so all of that is part tied into your identity. And for me, I didn't really want to go anywhere shortly after I left because I knew I would have to, if I went somewhere to a party or something, they would say, Hey, what do you do now? And you're like, well, so I wrote this book called Know What You're For, and people ask me to come speak. And then as I'm having this description, I'm like, this isn't going to work. You're a failure. You should just stay to the church. And all these things are swirling, yeah. right? And if you don't have a place to process them, they will. They can take you out. And um, and I'm so grateful that as hard as this was, I had a lot, a lot of people that I could process the emotions with of letting go. And, um, and so even though I, you know, it was, it was hard and there was some, some, you know, wasn't, you know, just hard emotional stuff, right? You're not mm-hmm. healthy as much as you want to be. I'm so glad I had people process. So I didn't do something stupid. And so, so that's, that's been so grateful. I've been so grateful to have people in my life to process. It's, it's a, it's a, I have a hunch, Caleb, this is why in particular founders, who, who start organizations, why many of them hang on too long. Hmm. Because I think somewhere in, as they start to think about succession and transition 
they began to get a sense of, oh man, this is going to be hard. And they just shoved that down and they stayed far too long. Uh, I've heard recently we're going to have a front row seat to succession in church world uh, and to see how well, and that's happening now, you know, and, but I was with a mentor of mine, Dr. James Merritt, his church, Crosspoint Church in Atlanta, they allowed us to uh, meet at their church on Sunday nights for three years when we were launching with that church. So just incredibly generous. And so I was telling him, Hey, I think, my season has come to an end at Gwinnett because I want to do this and this next season. And, but I feel like, you know, could be leaving a little bit too early. Uh, and he said, Jeff, I would rather leave a year too early than a day too late. Mm-hmm. And so I think processing that understanding when it's time to leave and it's probably leaving a little early is probably the harder but more healthy thing to do. And that was, that was our case is we, when I could have hung on for a little while, but I knew that I would be making decisions that my successors would have to live with. And I'm like, I don't want to do that to them. They may want to go in a different direction. And uh, so, but, you know, we, we leaned in, Wendy and I leaned in, leaned into Proverbs 15, 22 with many advisors plans succeed and without counsel plans fail. So we had all kinds of advice and counsel on, on these decisions to get a green light. Um, but the most significant green light I wanted to get was Wendy's. Mm-hmm. And because I knew that in the ups and downs, we knew that we both decided this would be the season. And we've done this before, you know, leaving Chick-fil-A to Buckhead Church, leaving Buckhead Church to Gwinnett and leaving Gwinnett to do this. We've been through this before. It doesn't make it easier but we we have principles and strategies that we employ to help us make these decisions, which is why I wrote the book. Yeah, you've mentioned, you know, uh, some of the things that surprised you in terms of, you know, loneliness and uh, just the toll that it can have on you emotionally. Anything else that has just stood out that, you know, maybe you didn't expect to deal with in the transition that has shown up? I think how fun it's been, too. Yeah. And, you know, Wendy's able to travel with me now. Uh, I end the book with a picture of us in San Francisco a year after we had left. And here we are in San Francisco um, doing what I've always wanted. You know, one of the things, what, something else I talk about in the book is it's okay to check more than one career box. You know, as a, as a freshman in college, they're like, what is your major? And they give you a box and they're like, check one box. And even then I, there was part of me that wanted to check more than one career box. And so we're out in San Francisco and I'm checking multiple career boxes. I'm checking the you know, professional speaker. I wanted to do that. I'm checking the pastor because I'm actually speaking at a, a church. I'm speaking at a business function. So I wanted to be a kind of a business strategist. So, but also wanted to be a great husband and dad. And my daughter was with me. And so, so I took that picture and put it in the end of the book to go, I will just look at the picture. Cause the question I get is, would you do it all over again? Mm-hmm. And the answer is absolutely. Uh, now, I know how hard it's been. I know the ups and downs and the challenges and pains, but I would go right through it again because, again, discomfort is the price you pay for growth. And so I think that the thing that's been surprising to me is um, is how, 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 how fun it's been. And I'm in control of my schedule now. I get to, you know, if, if I'm getting way too busy, there's one person to blame, and that's me. And so Wendy and I talk about building a life we enjoy, not building a life that we work our life away. Mm -hmm. 
And so, and I learned that lesson a lot from, from North Point, you know, of having, and uh, having you know, a sustainable pace, your life moves to a better place when you move at a sustainable pace. doesn't mean there aren't seasons. I'm in a season right now with this book launch. It's going to be crazy, but it's, it's going to, it's going to settle down uh, in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to go back and, and you briefly touched on it. Uh, again, about uh, discomfort, your discomfort is an opportunity to grow. And I would just love to hear um, from you, what's a, a, a recent area of discomfort that you've had to grow in and what's helped you along or work through that? I think having to say no um, mm-hmm. to, because right now it was it's actually easier to say yes on the front end. Cause then you look at your following. Like, okay, look, I, I know revenue projections. I know how this is going to work. Um, but, but having the faith to go, no, I, I, I can't do that because that's that would put me on the road four weekends in a row. I can't do that. But then you think, OK, so let's look at the world out there. Uh, should I be saying no? Because it looks kind of crazy. Are we in a recession and all this kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. And so that's been the hardest thing is saying no, because if you turn the spigot off, when you turn the spigot back on, will opportunities flow out? And so it's been a challenge of of really faith to go, okay, God, I'm going to do what's best and uh, try to figure this out. But um, I, I, I know that I'm not supposed to work my life away. Mm-hmm. So that's probably been the hardest thing right now is just saying no to really good opportunities that it's just not a sustainable pace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything that's helped uh, that become any easier or is it just, you know, been difficult the entire time? being married to Wendy, you know, she'll go, if you want to do this, you can do this, but is this, is, is, is this building your life, building the life we enjoy? Don't forget the phone call that you call me in November going, I don't know that I want to do this next fall. So, uh, so that, that kind of, a, kind of that has been really helpful. Yeah. Uh, I would be curious to hear, you know, this is, um, you know, third major big transition at least career wise and i would just love to hear are there any like themes or like repeating patterns that you have just seen that's like wow this has shown up like every time you know i i imagine that one of them would be you know the emotional uh the toil that you have to go through mm-hmm. is there anything like that that's just you know showed up or continued to show up i'm a i'm a firm believer in side hustles and 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 experiment not doing 17 different things but Pursuing these side hustles because I think they allow you to leverage your gifts, leverage your strengths, but who knows where it may wind up down the road. For example, a few years ago, I launched a, a online coaching program for preachers about how to preach better sermons. And that was a side hustle. I learned a lot about you know, how to package this. I had this content, but I, I had to develop it in a video format. And I had no idea that one of the biggest parts of what I'm doing now, and one of the biggest parts of the business is coaching business communicators on something I launched as a side hustle many years ago. And so for another example, when people ask me because of my Chick-fil-A background, hey, should I be a Chick-fil-A operator? I'm like, I don't know, but I can tell you how you can find out. Really, tell me, you need to go down to your local Chick-fil-A, apply for a part-time job. If you don't like your part-time job working through the drive-through, you're not going to like running and owning business. But if you fall in love with the business, then that side hustle has has given you um, 
a, a picture of what your future may be. So I'm a big believer in side hustles. I'm also a big believer in in getting your financial house in order. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the heartbreaking things I see a lot of times, I saw this a lot in church world, is people would be asking, looking for you know their next step in life, and they would find it. Oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to move here and work with this nonprofit. But then they would have to take a massive pay cut and they were not in a position to pursue it because they were just too, in too much debt. They couldn't, they couldn't do it. And so early on in our marriage, Wendy and I said, you know, we, we want to get our financial house in order as a married couple. And when, when North Point and Buckhead Church approached me to leave Chick-fil-A to help join the team there, we had to take a huge pay cut, but we had done the hard work financially to get our house in order. And so we were able to do that. Well, if we had not been able to do that, chances are I never would have met you, Caleb. Chances yeah. are I would have never you know, been on this journey. So getting your financial house in order takes discipline, but it's what I've seen is when you're prepared and ready, opportunities usually show up. So I'm, I'm a big believer in side hustles. I'm a big believer in, in, in getting your house in order. And I'm a big believer in personal advisory boards. And I suggest this and most people never do it. And I understand that. But the reason I did it is because I heard Jim Collins, who wrote Good to Great, say, in essence, you know, Coca-Cola has a board of advisors and they're just selling sugar water. You should have a personal board of advisors because you have one shot at life. And when I heard him say that, I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. And so I've been traveling with four men who were older than me, um, and they were they were incredibly integral in this last decision, but in all the decisions I've made in the last 18 years, because I wanted to get a green light from them and Wendy. So I think who you are, who you're who's speaking into your life from an advisor is really, really, really important. So side hustles, side hustles help you understand your gifts and strengths, Um, getting your financial house in order and having a personal board of advisors that are consistently speaking into your life. And it just helps me because I'm, I'm thinking, okay, if this doesn't work, I can blame them, not just blame me. Right. So, yeah. And, and we had one of those guys over to our house just a few weeks ago, and it was just fun for him to go, man, look at what's all that's happening. This is awesome. This is exciting. But it really was um, you know, due, to his, due to his help. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about the personal advisory board? Because I've heard you talk about it before, and that's just always been such a cool idea that I've heard about. Can you kind of tease out what that – like what does that look like in your life? Like is it mm-hmm. – you know, are you meeting once a month? What do those meetings look like? Things like that. The, the meetings vary, but usually it's like once a quarter. Or once, but if there's a lot that's happening, and well, I'll quicken the pace. Yeah, I mean, a lot's happening. But I got a decision to make. But I'll give you an example. I was meeting with these guys before the, you know, before we became empty nesters, eighteen months before, and one of them said, "Hey, what, what's your plan when you and Wendy become empty nesters? What, what's your hopes and dreams for that season?" Because all of them were empty nesters, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I don't know, I haven't even thought about it. And they said, "Well, you need to start thinking about it." And so the four book was coming, you know, on the, on the horizon. And a, a give you another example of a side hustle. Mm-hmm. A side hustle was I traveled to 40 cities and did a business breakfast tour. And part of the reason for that is I wanted to test out this message. 
would it resonate with the business community? And if it didn't, then that probably wasn't something I wanted to pursue. But I can remember I was in Elkhorn, Nebraska. Shout out to Elkhorn, Nebraska. And I was doing a business breakfast there. And it what happened was there, it happened at every stop. Hey, could you come speak to our company about this? And hey, could you uh, do a video conference with our team about this? And I, I just called Wendy and I said, I think I've found what, what the next season for us is. And or at least a part of it. And so, but that was really prompted by the personal advisory board. So sitting down with them on a very consistent basis, and I typically have three things, uh, something I'm excited about, something that I'm anxious about, and an idea that I want to run by them. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of times it's just helpful just to just, just talk this out. And sometimes when I'm like, this is really bothering me, and I say it out loud, I'm thinking, why is this bothering me? Other times when I would say, this is really bothering me, they would go, yep, if I were you, that would bother me too. Oh, okay. So it was, it was valid. But having these four guys look at me, you know, even in the middle of a global pandemic, uh, being in my mid fifties, um, going and doing something that I've never really done before to have these four guys and my wife, along with many others go, yep, we see this. You need to do that. That just helped give me the courage to to move forward. And you know, when it comes to when it comes to fear, we think the antidote is courage. Um, it's actually action. Action is the antidote to fear. And as you move, the courage builds. But what prompts the action is to have wise advisors say, "Yes, I see this. Move forward. Keep moving." And that's another lesson I've learned in this. And that was from John Maxwell. I was speaking at a conference with him and he spoke before me and and he said, you know, I never had a clear vision. I just kept moving forward. And I thought, wait, what? John Maxwell (laughs) never had a clear vision. I understand, you know, a mere human like me, but this is the leadership guru. He never had a clear vision. He just kept moving forward. And so those times that things didn't go, especially in the early days of this move, you know, I thought it was going to go this way and it didn't. It went that way. I would give myself the 24 hour rule and uh, I would grieve that. And then I would, you know, OK, I got to keep moving forward. And that's what a personal advisory board helps you to do to keep moving forward. So I meet on a mm-hmm. consistent basis. It's usually one or two hours. Sometimes I bring the agenda. Sometimes they bring the agenda. The biggest challenge is calendaring and getting it on calendar. And I try to do it in person, not virtually. All these guys are, are local in Atlanta. I'll meet individually with them occasionally as well. Um, I'll see one of them this coming Sunday. And again, I, I just, they're, these are kind of guys that, that I want to grow up to be like. Their kids yeah. are amazing. Their marriage are great. Their, their track record is just, I mean, nobody's perfect. And we've all got issues, yeah. but you know, this is like, Hey, I want to be like you when I grow up. Yeah. And, but you've got a plot, you know, this is one of those urgent, not important issues. Yep. Uh, I'm sorry. It's it's one of those important, not yeah, urgent. Yeah, yeah. Like, hey, it's really important, <laughs> but it's not urgent. Yeah. Uh, you know. But it, when it becomes urgent, it's probably a little bit too late. So the fact that these guys were traveling with me for so long, they knew our story. They knew, you know, all the stuff with the what was happening with the four book and the opportunities there. And they're like, you know what? I think you're going to regret if you don't give this a shot. Um, and so. 
I would highly encourage people to, and there's more details about how to, yeah. to do this, but you know, there's an old adage when the student is ready, the teachers will appear. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk with you about the time to where, um, you know, that you're leaving an organization and, you know, Hey, it's been communicated and you know, Hey, I have, you know, a couple of weeks left or, you know, I have a month left. Can you talk to me about some of the things that have most helped you in that like final, like month, few weeks to leave? Well, Another principle in the book, Caleb, is the better you finish your current season, the better you begin your next season. And I don't think we talk enough in leadership about finishing well. And I understand it, especially if you put in a two-week notice. You're like, what are they going to do, fire me? You know, I'm, I'm going to go play golf for two weeks. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to take my hands off the wheel, whatever, doesn't really matter because I'm moving on. Mm-hmm. And I think when we do that, we not only do a disservice to the organization, we do a disservice to us. And so I put in a six week notice at Gwinnett Church and, and you know, I've been talking to people that, you know, I worked with and reported to for quite a while about this transition. So, um, in fact, Winnie and I were going to leave in May of 2020. But when COVID hit in March of 2020, we actually stayed six months longer than we originally planned to just to, to help the church and that transition. So I, I, you have all of that. But now that I announced that to the team, I got with our leadership team and I said, OK. I want to work for you for the next six weeks. So here's what I think I could best add value for. So for example, I'm preaching a sermon series. I'm doing a volunteer training. I want to write a note to, um, to every volunteer I possibly can. I'm going to meet individually with every staff person to say thank you if they want to. All this, I put all this on the screen and said, okay, is there is there anything else you would want to add? Or... Is there something you would want to take off and add? Because for the next six weeks, I I want to I just want to finish well. And you know how you leave an organization is is in your control. How the organization leaves you is in their control. And so you, you just got to make sure that you control your controllables and that you leave well. And and I remember Lane Jones, who I reported to, I think my last meeting I had with him before I left was, hey, if anyone ever leaves. North Point again, I want them to say, I want to say, I'm going to tell them if they ask me how they should leave, they should leave like you did. And that meant a lot to me, you know? And so, um, and I, at at Chick-fil-A, I did the same thing. Now, when I left Chick-fil-A to go to North Point, this is when video church was just an unheard of thing. And, and, you know, I'm sure a few people looked at that, like you're leaving a multi-billion dollar organization that has great plans for you to go work at a church where the preacher's on video, this is really interesting. So we weren't quite sure if Buckhead Church would work. So I wrote everybody in the marketing department and everyone on the executive committee at Chick-fil-A a a handwritten note. And the the note implied, if this doesn't work, can I come back to Chick-fil-A? And and a friend of mine said, hey, you left exceedingly well at Chick-fil-A. And yeah, it's about your, there's some personal vested interest in this, right? Because you you don't want to burn bridges. If you burn bridges, you're the one that gets hurt the most. At the same time, there's a balance of, as, as I mentioned earlier, when you leave, leave, don't linger. And so, but until you leave, work really hard and with honor because you're honoring those that you work with. You're honoring the organization. And in essence, you're honoring you and what you've done there. Mm-hmm. 
another thing that I, I was really eager to ask you about is, you know, sometimes you're the person who's leaving and sometimes you're the person who is being left. You know, you're you're the boss and your employee is leaving you. And so I would just love to hear from you. What are some of the things that you've tried to do while helping other people transition well outside of the organization? And I would also love to hear what are some of the things that were most meaningful to you that people have done in helping you transition whether that be from chick-fil-a or from buckhead or from gwinnett i actually had someone leave not the staff at buckhead but leave the church and met with me and said hey i want to tell you why i'm leaving the church and it was an incredibly healthy conversation and uh, they were just leaving the church because they felt like their season here had ended and they were going to go to another church and i just felt so honored by that you know versus getting an angry email or then people just disappear and like, where, where do they go? Yeah. And, um, and so I think doing something like that is really, really important when it's really hard when a staff staff member leaves an organization that you're leading to go somewhere else. And it's, it's hard not to take that personally. Right. So whenever I hear a leader say, you know, my team and my people I'm like, oh, they're not your team and they're not your people. Um, they are, a, you are, you're actually a steward of, of, of them and you are stewarding them for a season. And so my, if their season has come to an end um, and it depends on the, the particular relationship and the staff person and, and, and all that. And, but you, you want to make transitions as healthy as they, as they can be. Sometimes transitions are tricky because they're not, um, it, it didn't work out, you know, or whatever. And so every situation is a little bit different, but I want to make sure that, that I honor them. And, but if I'm leaving the organization, I want to write notes, meet with people, say, thank you. In fact, I think I mailed 140 notes my last day at, at uh, Gwinnett Church. And I wanted people to get them two or three days after I had left. Mm. And just to say, hey, I'm no longer the lead pastor, but I'm still grateful for your help and support. And, and, and so I think saying thank you is really, really important. So if you're, but if you're the person that's being left, I think honoring that person as, as much as they can. And, uh, I mean, when we've had staff, when we had staff people go to other churches, we would honor them. And I, I would get calls from church leaders to go, Hey, I just want to let you know. That's easy for church leaders when they're, you know, your staff person's coming to this. It's yeah. all one big church. You know, it's the global church. I'm like, yeah, it's really easy for you to say that because now I got to go find a new, you know, staff person. But, and that's true, but, you know, it's harder, but more credible when you lose a staff person in church world to go, we're the global church and we're, this is a win for the kingdom. It's harder when you're the one losing. Mm -hmm. And so it's a heart issue. It's an emotion issue. It's all that stuff. And when a leader, if a leader tells me they don't care if somebody leaves their church, you know, and their staff, I'm actually more bothered by that because I'm like, I don't know if you really care for these people. And you might just see them as, as cogs to the wheel of your own machine. And if that's the case, we got bigger issues. Mm -hmm. So I would much rather, I, mean, I, 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 I share a story in the book, in fact, of uh, a friend of mine, Shelly Giglio, who came to speak at our staff meeting at Gwinnett Church when I was there. And she, and she said, hey, I got two pieces of feedback for you. 
Uh, good news is, is Gwinnett Church is like a family. That's awesome. The bad news is, is Gwinnett Church is like a family. And if you ever leave, it's going to it's going to hurt. And uh, and she wasn't saying, don't do this. She yeah. was just saying, hey, I care for you and Wendy. Be careful about this because your heart's wrapped up in, in these people and this culture and this team. And it's going to take you time to unravel that. Just be aware. And I understand it makes me understand why some leaders are, keep keep their distance. It's just too painful. But from my perspective, life is too short just to work with strangers. Yeah. And anything uh, meaningful just in your transitions that someone has done to you to help, like what you were talking about, to honor you in, in the process or that was particularly meaningful to you? So when I left Chick-fil-A, David Salyers, uh, well, first of all, he gave me a signed Larry Bird jersey. I was a big Larry Bird fan growing up. So that was crazy. But David has just stayed in touch with me and has been such a supporter because I was leaving David to go do this thing. Right. So yeah. he could have had his feelings hurt, but he was such a cheerleader and supporter and still is to this day. In fact, David owns a, uh, uh, a collection of um, co-working spaces in Atlanta. And so when I left, I really didn't have anywhere to go during the day. And he said, Jeff, you're going to have to have somewhere to go. I mean, just working from your kitchen is not going to be the best thing. And so he, you know, set up a membership for me at one of the uh, Rome's R O A M. And, uh, but that was, you know, 18 years after I'd left Chick-fil-A and here he is still, still connecting with me and serving me. And, and we're great friends to this day. So he was an example of someone who was genuinely for me, even when I left. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you about two other things, but is there anything that we haven't covered so far that you want to make sure that we talk about? I think when it comes to making a, a move like this, the, the, the statement I get or question I get is, how do you eliminate risk? Because I, I don't want this to be a risk, and I don't think that's possible. I don't think you can eliminate risk. I do think you can shrink it, and that's the goal. So you don't have to make a leap over the Grand Canyon and plunge thousands of feet below, but you can make it a leap over a mud puddle. And you might get wet and muddy, and no one likes getting wet and muddy, but it, at least you, you, you've reduced the risk so that the whole thing's not falling apart. And so one of the ways to do that, we've cr we created a free assessment at our website, jeffhenderson.com. It's the Career Risk Calculator. And it gives you a green light, red light, or yellow light. And, and a red light doesn't mean you, you're a failure, you're a loser. It doesn't mean that. It means you've got some work to do. A green light doesn't mean you are now forced to leave your job. A green light just means, okay, you've done the work financially. You've done the work with your network. You've done the work with understanding if this role is right for you. You've got some options. You've got some choices. And the more options you have, the better decisions you can make, I think. So I think we want to help people understand that they don't need to get paralyzed by the fear, uncertainty, and risk. You can move forward. And, and so that's the career risk assessment. The reason we created it and the reason we wanted to make it free was I want people to, to take steps towards staying where they are, moving toward where they want to be, but realizing their, their God-given potential. Um, but I don't want them to get so handcuffed by fear and uncertainty they don't know what to do. We'll just take the assessment and it'll show you some pathways to, to, keep, to get moving. Because again, 
action is the antidote to to fear yeah uh two other ideas that i wanted to ask about uh from the book and the first one is this is uh you you write a lot about the journey of an idea can you uh kind of unpack that absolutely i wish somebody had told me this years ago because it would have helped me especially when i was working on talks or ideas but it's really a four-step process there's the birth of the idea we've we've all been there we've been in a you know had an idea in the shower or whatever Um, but eventually at some point the idea dies or there's an obstacle or there's a naysayer that says that'll that'll never happen or the idea in essence does die and for a lot of people a lot of leaders that's the conclusion all right i had an idea and it died okay well what i've discovered over time is that there are two other steps. It's the resurrection of the idea and the ascension of the idea. And what I have to do is to keep moving forward. That doesn't mean if the idea dies that I just, you know, I don't have the wisdom to to let go and move in another direction, but it allows me to go, okay, I've hit the inevitable death stage. What do I need to do now to keep moving forward? Um, one of my um, one of my favorite podcasts, other than yours, Caleb, is uh, how to how how I built this, mm-hmm. and and it's uh, just an interview with people that launched businesses, and almost every single time when they're sharing their story, they talk about the idea, and then the idea died, but I did this, I pivoted, and it kind of resurrected, and now it's bigger than I ever thought. That's their story. And uh, I share a story in the book of that happened to me at Gwinnett Church. We had our second Gwinnett location. Gwinnett is the largest county or soon to be the largest county in Georgia. And I, the reason I wanted to name it Gwinnett Church is I, I thought we would have other Gwinnett Church locations. And so let's just name it after the county. So there was an opportunity we had. And so there's the birth of the idea. It was a grocery store. I launched a church in a former grocery store before. This is a closed down grocery store. So the birth of the idea is this is our new campus. We took our team for a tour. Everybody said, we're in, we're going to do this. The next day, uh, I got a call from our CFO that said, hey, another company has bought the building out from under us. Well, that was the the day the idea died. But my father-in-law, who's in real estate, would often tell me, the deal is not done until somebody has a check in their hands and uh, no one had a check in their hands. So I'm like, we're going to move forward. I'm going to pray. I'm going to work. I'm going to do whatever I can. And true story. The day that deal, that deal was about to close, I get another call from our CFO that says, you're not going to believe this, but the deal fell through. They've come back to us. Do, do you still want to buy a building? So that was the resurrection of the idea. And then about a year later, I was standing in this building full of people preaching two services that day. Um, and it, the whole idea was better than I've even imagined. And most of the people in that room had no idea of the journey of the idea, mm-hmm. but it followed that journey, birth, death, resurrection, and ascension. doesn't happen like that all the time, but the challenge is moving from when you, when you get to chapter two, realizing that that's not the conclusion. That's just the inevitable challenge. Um, And so you can morph, change, pivot, whatever, but I'm still going to keep moving forward because this idea is going to lead me somewhere. It might not lead to exactly what I thought it was, but it's going to lead me somewhere if I'm persistent and, and still keep moving. 
Mm-hmm. What's helped you work through, or there's is there anything that's really helped you work through that that cycle? Because I imagine, you know, and it's it's death. It could be discouraging. You know, resurrection. Maybe you're sure. Maybe you might think it might die, and then the ascension. I would just love your thoughts on that. This applies, for example, to uh, writing a message, a sermon, or a business presentation, or whatever. So when I hit that stage, that oh, I had this idea, and oh, this isn't very good. I don't panic. I don't want to quit. I don't, I go, all right, you know what? I've hit a wall today. I might just stop for today, but I'm going to pick it back up tomorrow. Just that before I probably, before I kind of discovered this, I probably would just crumple up the piece of paper and just started on a totally different idea because I would have given up on the idea. Sometimes that happens, but just understanding just the awareness that, oh, here we are. It's the death stage. And just the awareness that I've gotten there is so freeing because I'm like, oh, this is inevitable. And it doesn't take me by surprise. Hmm. I'm actually in some ways expecting it. And I've also understood that it's the challenges in an idea's journey that makes the idea better. I actually welcome the obstacles in the death stage in some, some ways because I know it's going to help me make it better. Um, and when I had to go to our team and tell them, we're not going to be able to launch Gwinnett Church Hamilton Mill. There is a lot of disappointment. So imagine how excited they were when I said, oh, by the way, the deal fell through. We're back on. It actually made the anticipation even higher because it was once taken away from us. Now it's back on the table. And so that and it's it's important, I think, for people to understand that story. Um and because again, the awareness of stage two just being chapter two and not the conclusion mm-hmm. has allowed me not to panic, has allowed me to go, okay, I'll pick this up tomorrow. I just need a break. And to go, you know what? This is actually going to make the idea even better. Hmm. Yeah. And the last thing that I want to ask you about, and we've touched on it a little bit, is just this idea of don't build a life uh, that you won't enjoy. And I would just love to hear um, your thoughts around two things for that. One, where do you see people being most tempted to build a life that they won't enjoy? Like, what are some of the temptations that you see people are experiencing with that? And what has helped you and Wendy figure out what that life is? Mm-hmm. I think it's saying yes to just too many things and not having the discipline to say no and, and not having a parameter of what you say no to. And for example, the fall is our favorite season as a family. And so I said yes to too many things last fall because we're building this business, right? Now, the book is launching this fall, but my daughter has several weddings that she's in. Well, we want to be in those. You know, be, I'm doing a couple of those weddings. We want to be there for those. So prioritizing the most important things, which is not the business. Hmm. And now it may be the business for somebody. That's okay. I mean, you just need to prioritize that. And But... It's one thing for me to say my family is the most important thing and my spiritual life is the most important thing. But if you looked at my calendar, it wouldn't, it would say the the work was the most important thing. And so I I think understanding what is your priority and does it match up with your calendar and fighting for white space, fighting for white space. For example, I have nothing this afternoon other than go to the lake. And I, I think it's a sign of a workaholic if I have to have 
eight things on my calendar that makes me feel valuable. And I got to the point earlier this year where I'm like, if I just want to do one thing a day. Now, that's not sustainable all the time, but it was for that season. I'm going to do one thing and then I'm just going to go for a walk. Mm-hmm. Um, that made me more creative. Uh, it, you know, it made me um, really do a lot of the hard work that I needed to do um, to continue to get healthy uh, from leaving. And um, so that white space is a huge, huge value add for for all of us. So I think understanding what's your priority and giving yourself the permission to have white space in your calendar, because if you look at white space on your calendar as something that's wrong, that might be the sign that you might be a workaholic. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and I guess the, the last thing I want to ask you about that is that white space, you know, there, especially if you do find yourself, you know, I constantly have to go. I constantly have to busy, be busy. I constantly have to fill my calendar. That could be intimidating of like scheduling white space for it. And so I would just love, you know, you know the, your final thoughts on how do you go about starting to do that and what helps you figure out what goes in that white space? So, well, let me say this, Caleb, I yeah. typically don't do anything on Fridays. Yeah. And, uh, but when, when my assistant said, well, Caleb and Devin said, Caleb can do it on Friday. I'm like, All right. I'm going to make an exception for my buddy, Caleb. Uh, but that's oh. why I don't have anything. This well, thank you. Well, I, I don't say that for, to get the thank you, but okay. I will accept it though. But, but so this is kind of the exception. So that doesn't mean that I never have an exception to the Friday rule, but I certainly didn't want to have anything else on the, uh, the afternoon. Uh, you know, John John Maxwell travels all over the place, but he's got an incredible marriage, right? Michael Hyatt, another person that um, I write about in the book. You know, I, I, one of the things I talk about is that if you if you don't know, if you can't describe what you want to do, find a muse or an, an somebody that's inspiring you that is showing you what you can do. So. A few years ago, Michael asked me, Michael Hyatt asked me to come do a communication training for him and his team. And I did that. And I was in Franklin, Tennessee. I noticed Fr- Michael walked to work. Um, he had an, this incredible pace of life. He enjoyed life. And I drove home and I told Wendy, I said, I don't know quite what I want to do, but I think I saw a picture of it today. Hmm. And uh, Michael is always in my mind. John is always in my mind of people who um, had a lot of influence and a lot of success, but they have not sacrificed their soul for it in the process. And so that's just been really important to me. So I think you got to schedule it out um, and you have to have conversations with your spouse to go, Hey, here, here's, here's how this is going to work. And those conversations aren't always hunky dory fun conversations you know it's hard the last thing i want to do sometimes is get my calendar out and have a calendaring session with wendy but it's so helpful because if you don't run your calendar your calendar will run you mm-hmm. and so being really really proactive but then again that question is you know we'll look at the calendar and wendy will go is this the life we want to is this the life that we would say we enjoy and so it's just that question is looking at it going no, no, I think we need to take um, a couple of weekends off. Mm, yeah. Well, Jeff, I know that people are going to, you know, want to keep up with you, get the book, What to Do Next. And you mentioned uh, the risk risk assessment as well. Where's the best place for people to go to do all those things and keep up with you? 
Yeah, jeffhenderson.com is where you can get the uh, career risk assessment. You can, uh, and there's some other free assessments as well, but uh, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, everybody has the book. Um, even down, my, my buddies, Downtown Books in Dothan, Alabama, they have the book. They're actually in the in the book of, of a couple of people, Troy and Stacey Fountain, who said, you know, we've always wanted to open up a bookstore. And so many naysayers going, a bookstore? You realize nobody buys books in bookstores anymore. And it's been fun to see that that's actually not true. Yeah. And yep. um, so, but yeah, um, but my cell phone number's in the book, so I'd love for them to text me and, and let me know how I can help. But, you know, the, the reason I wrote what to do next is chances are we all know someone who's trying to figure out what to do next. And I, I think we can figure this out. Yeah. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. And thanks for just doing the work and for sharing it with us. Absolutely, Caleb. Thanks for inviting me back. I absolutely love learning from Jeff and many of the ideas that he's talked about before are things that have inspired me um, to pursue, to pursue some of those things. And it's even fun listening to some of the things that he is focusing on and thinking about and thinking about how I'm trying to do those things as well. And a couple of the ideas that he talked about, which have, uh, I, I would say it's both been unintentional and it has uh, become intentional in the process of that is what he talked about of a personal advisory board. Now, I, I don't quite have it exactly like his, which would probably uh, probably be helpful to, to do is, uh, is it's more uh, one-on-one meetings. And I have about four people in my life who are, um, they're, they're older than I am by at least uh, 20 years and sometimes 30, 40 years older than I am. And anytime that I'm processing or I need help with something, they're one of the people that I reach out to. And we meet on a, on a fairly consistent basis. It, it sometimes depends on, you know, as Jeff said, their, their schedules and everything, but working it out. But those are definitely relationships that I'm prioritizing and working on because they are so incredibly helpful to me. And I just enjoy spending time with them and learning from them and having them speak into my life as well. And I think part of it is because I, because from talking with people, I know that sometimes finding, you know, someone in that mentor role can be tough. And I don't know if it always has to be as formal as it is. I think sometimes it's just paying attention to, you know, what Jeff said of whoever that muse is that you're, that you're following, that you're trying to learn from and you're going, wow, I, I really want to be like them. You know, whenever I, whenever I grow up and just asking to spend time with them and then just, you know, maybe after a couple of weeks, you reach back out and you say, Hey, I'd love to get together again. And then you do that again. And then you do it again. And if you end up still vibing with that person and just going, wow, I really enjoy being with that person. Just asking them saying, Hey, do you mind if we just set up a recurring meeting that way we can you know make this happen and that's one of the things that that i've done with several of these people is just setting up that either that recurring time or just being real intentional about hey i'm going to reach out to this person 
And the other thing that he talked about, which just resonated so strong with me, is this idea of building a life that you enjoy. And really for the last year, that's been a huge idea that I have been thinking about and just evaluating my life and going, wow, what would a life look like that I completely enjoy? And how can I, how can I build, how can I make that type of life as well? And what are some of the movements and the moves that I need to do in order to help make that happen? So those are just a couple of things that are standing out to me from this conversation, but there's so much more that we talked about. And I would love to hear from you as well. What are some of the things that have stood out to you from this conversation? And the best way to hit me up and let me know, or just let me know about what you're learning about in general is learners corner podcast at gmail.com. Also, uh, you know, he, Jeff mentioned this towards the end, but it's worth getting the book just so that you could get Jeff's phone number and he'll text, he'll text with you and everything, which is absolutely incredible and amazing as well. So yeah, that's some of the things that I'm thinking about today. Uh, please leave a rating, write a review of the podcast that really helps us as well. Continue to spread these conversations. And yeah, that's all that I have for today. I do want to say thank you to Jeff Henderson for being on the podcast today. Thanks to Sam Massey for creating the music for this podcast. Thank you for listening all the way to the end of the episode. My name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.